Welcome back, Spokane, to another episode of Everreal Talks. I am your host, Jessica Side, and I'm joined, as always, by my lovely husband, Matthew Side. And we are right in the middle of um, talking to you about Airbnb investments. So we know there are lots of different ways to invest, and we're using the word Airbnb to fill in for short-term rental properties. So last week, we talked about acquisition. So how do you... where do you acquire? How do you acquire? Um, yeah, we were talking about picking the markets, yep. some of the different regulations. Mm-hmm. And we also talked about how to figure out your income. Because, of course, that is half of the battle is trying to figure out how much am I going to make on this thing? And it's a little more complicated mm-hmm. than just figuring out what a three-bed, two-bath home rents for in a particular neighborhood Correct. in your city. And so we talked about, and it's, if it's okay since I'm jumping Please. into financial stuff. Just as quick review to determine income potential for your Airbnb uh, nightly rental, looking at the platforms. So VRBO or Verbo and Airbnb are two of the biggest platforms. What is the competition renting their stuff for? How much property is available or nights? How many nights are available? Those type of things. Mm -hmm. So you can go back and listen to the details of that from last week. Uh, But just as review, that is what we're what we were looking at. As cool. we ended our episode. And so we stopped before we started talking about money out. Yeah. Well, so there's always just, two sides of that coin. There's the I money wanna, in and there's the money out. I yes. do want to come back to the simplicity of a cash flow analysis spreadsheet of some kind. And I don't care how you do it. Okay. You can use Excel. You can use a piece of paper that you know kind of the format. You probably Use won't. Excel. Yeah, Excel is Learn the how to use Excel. It's not that hard to make um Some basic formulas. formulas. And the beautiful thing is, as we talked in past episodes, you're going to look at a lot of property mm-hmm. before you find the right one. And so to be able to save as the new property address, I don't even know before we bought our first nightly rental how many dozens and dozens yeah, of cash I mean, flow I, spreadsheets. I would say we probably did... I mean, there has to be at least 50 of them. At least yeah. 50. Yeah. But it's very nice to have all those formulas built in and then you do a save as. And I will say that as I kind of was working through my spreadsheets, I figured out things that I liked better or mm-hmm. I want this formula to talk to this formula. Right. So then making sure that you create that as your new template. But anyway, so create some sort of a spreadsheet and here's the simplicity of it. And I have a tendency as a person mm-hmm. to overcomplicate some stuff like... The creation of lots of entities that are underneath other entities and this, that, and the other thing. And my my lovely wife helps me with simplicity. Mm-hmm. Keep this simple. Yeah. It's money in, it's money out, and at the end of the day, do you have money left in your pocket? Yeah. So that's the goal, from what I understand. So we talked about <laughs> money in last week. Let's talk about money out. Okay. Uh, oh, one last thought before we come away from money in. Okay. This needs to be a conservative number, not your pie in the sky, best right. case scenario. And I find that when I was really honing down on a property, I would come up with a, I had three different sets of numbers on my returns. Mm. I had a worst case, like if I'm a complete idiot at this, I have to at least make this much. Yeah. And then I had kind of a, a moderate, like I'm, I'm hopeful that I can make this much. And then I had my like best case scenario, kind of mm. like knock it out of the park numbers. Yeah. And so... If it makes sense in your worst case scenario and you do better than that, then that's awesome. Mm -hmm. All right, let's talk about money out. 
<clears throat> some of these are, are for any property, investment property that you buy. So debt service, if you're getting a loan on the property, is probably your biggest expense. Debt service is your principal and interest payment. What is the term? Meaning, is it 20-year, 25-year, 30-year? What is the interest rate? Uh, those things are all going to calculate into that. And you have to talk to your lender. Before you can run any numbers yes. on any investment property, you need to know what kind of a loan you actually can qualify for. <laughs> Not and just, get updated on those periodically. Yeah. If it's been two or three months that you've been looking, make a call and say, hey, I'm still looking for a vacation rental property. Has anything changed in financing that I should be aware of? And when you're talking to your lender... Be sure that you actually tell them. You don't just say, if I were to buy a house right now, right? Like Absolutely. You, you they need to, to know what type of property because you're, and some people might not know this. If you are younger and you've never you know, bought a house before, there is going to be a different interest rate and fees on a residence that you are going to buy, a first-time home buyer or a second-time home buyer, but you're living in that house versus what's called a non-owner-occupied house. This is what, which is what you're getting. Those are two very different loans. And the reality is, is back to your goal conversation. If you live in it long enough, you spend enough time up there, then you potentially can qualify it as a second home, which yes. also has different lending criteria mm-hmm. and tax obligations or consequences or whatever. So know your goal, talk to the professionals. We did a whole episode on financing and kind of owner-occupied versus non-owner-occupied, but talk to a lender. They mm-hmm. will help guide you. Absolutely. Taxes. Obviously, you're going to have property taxes on this property that you are buying. Mm -hmm. So your real estate professional will help you figure out how to know that number. Um, It's usually pretty easy to find on a county site or something like that. There's lots of public records that you can pull. Mm -hmm. Insurance. So you should insure your property. And if you're getting a loan, they're going to make you insure it. But I will say this. Here's the the reality. Mm -hmm. Don't try and hide from people what you're doing to try and save money. You need to let your insurance agent know, hey, this is what I'm planning on doing. It's going to be a vacation property. We are going to spend time up there. But we're also going to spend a lot less time than somebody that's there for the whole summer, as an example. Like They need to know what your intentions are so that they can properly um, insure the place. Yes, because if something happens and then they discover that you're doing something that you didn't originally tell them that was the intent... They might not cover the damage, and there's lots of things that can happen to a property. And so. you need to insure your contents. You know, a normal rental, I'll mm. call it a normal rental property, it's not your stuff in there. It's the tenant's stuff in there. So you're not insuring that. Mm-hmm. But in a, in a nightly rental, you've got beds and tables and couches and all sorts of furnishings that right. need to be insured in addition to the potential added liability that you want to make sure if somebody hurts themselves that you're covered. So insurance is important. Yes. (laughs) All right. Let's dive into some of the things that are specific. So in in most rental property, those are your big ones. Your principal and interest on your loan, your taxes and your insurance. Mm -hmm. You have some maintenance stuff to figure in, but the biggest stuff is that. So for maintenance and management considerations of a vacation property, Mm -hmm. the property manager for a short-term rental. If you're going to employ one and you're not going to do it all yourself, you better figure that in. Because they're really expensive. Yes, they are. Like 30% is probably the cheapest that I have heard in that world. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them, if they're like built into a resort, are anywhere from 40 to 50% of the rental income goes back to the property manager. Which, listen, some people out there will hear that and go, oh, I would never do that. 
But let me tell you, there's some convenience to that, to literally out of sight, out of mind, don't have to think about it, get a check every month. Absolutely. So there are some of you that will never in a million years do that, or you think that. And then there's other people that go, yeah, if I'm going to do this, I don't want the headache of having to manage it. So there are going to be pros and cons to both of those ways. Utilities. Uh, again, if you have a tenant, a lot of tenants will pay your, their own utilities. If you're a nightly rental, you're going to need to think about water, sewer, garbage, gas. If you've got gas there, your electric. Um, it's, you know, based on some numbers from uh, move.org, utilities for apartments can be anywhere from $100 to $150 a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, homeowners pay closer to $400 a month. Those are average numbers for probably the whole U.S., just call the companies and say, yes. hey, what's the average utility bill for electricity at this yeah. property? I mean, and these are things you can do while you're under contract right. as well. Like if you're not sure and it's a really hot deal that you want to grab onto before it gets away, like just make that part of your due diligence process. Sure. Uh, cable. If you're going to be hosting a nightly rental, people want to have their TV. They want to be able to watch the football game. Yep. So, and cable's expensive. So figure out what the cable is in that market. Internet, same thing. Do you have, you don't have to offer it, but you will not get as many people showing up, nor can you charge as much for your nightly rental if you don't have Wi-Fi. Yeah, for us, and this has been the case for probably the last 15 years. No, I mean, for a very, very long time, if we went on vacation, we could not stay in a place where we did not have Wi-Fi access. And I think, I mean, there's a large group of people that don't want to because they can't be on Facebook and Instagram. But there's other people that literally can't do it because they have to be tied to work in some way. So um, a streaming service, also as important as internet. I know. And that's that's such a new thing, right? I mean, it's not new for all of us, but I think it's starting to become more like, oh, they don't have a streaming service here at this place? What what are my kids going to watch when I don't want to pay attention to them? (laughs) And some people will just like log into their own... But I think it's there's true. a convenience aspect yes. of being able to just click on somebody's and not Netflix have to, you know, and... because it, I hate trying to remember all of my passwords for all those different yeah. things. And so sometimes I'll get into an Airbnb and I can't remember the password and I'm trying to figure it out. And then it's like, oh, let's not. Now we have to if we sign up, it means we have to remember to sign out and, you know. Yeah, it's semi complex. I mean, whatever. It's complicated or not complicated. Yeah. But as a benefit to your. It could be an expense that you guests. want to take on um all right so landline not required but depending on where your property is if you don't have cell coverage or you don't have good cell coverage people might need or want to have that as a way to connect with the outside world if there's an emergency so just put that into consideration uh home maintenance so a good rule of thumb according to wells fargo is one to two percent of your income annually i run my numbers at two and a half that's what my commercial banker likes to see when he when he's running numbers with me, and okay. so I'm. It's a little more conservative, but that's my number. So, uh, also, you just need to kind of figure out what sort of deferred maintenance is on the property, if any, that you need to pay attention to. Is mm-hmm. the water heater kind of at the end of its life and might need to might go out? That's twelve to fifteen hundred bucks at the time of this recording because yeah. they're very expensive, you know, supplies, etc. Um. HOA dues, if your property is in an HOA, again, your real estate professional should be helping you find this information, but you mm-hmm. got to put that into your numbers. Professional cleaning. <laughs> it's not as easy as one might think to find good quality, reliable cleaners. And depending on how far away from you 
your property is, that is very important. Yep. And uh, people that we have talked to and visited with in this world talk about having multiple cleaners kind of lined up so yeah, that if there's a worst case scenario, you know, you might have your more affordable cleaner that you want to use on a regular basis, but you probably should have like the local expensive cleaner that has multiple yeah, staff because, members. So if last you got, second, like, uh, somebody's well you got, showing up. Yeah. They got the one person, he or she that is sick that day. You need to be able to, to call on other people. Um, usually that are more expensive. <laughs> yeah, usually so. Lawn care, again, depending on what your situation is, if you've got some money managing it or if you're in a resort type mm-hmm. situation. So lawn care, pool cleaning, hot tub cleaning. You know, mm-hmm. if you're providing all that stuff and you're 100% on your own, you're going to have to coordinate that kind of stuff. Yep. And those come with an expense. Uh, and then, the well, I guess it's not the last thing. Second to last thing on my list is snow removal. Again, depending on your climate, but something that you should consider if you're in a climate that gets snow comes back to reliability and access. If it snows and you don't have somebody get there for a few days and your guests can't get there, Mm -hmm. A, they're going to want their money back. B, they're going to be livid because you just ruined their vacation. So there's a lot of bad stuff. And there's also the reliability of that because there's liability (laughs) if somebody trips and falls on your property because you didn't take care of the ice or whatever it might be. Yeah, for sure. The last thing that I think is easy to forget is that if you're doing this, you have some sort of platform fees. So Airbnb or Verbo themselves have a fee that they charge. You need to look it up at the moment you're running numbers because I will say this, even when I was running numbers, some of the websites I was looking at were old. Yeah. Like they used to have like... Uh, Can was, you say what they are right now? At this well, moment in time, it's 3% for Airbnb and 8% for VRBO. Okay. And when I was running my numbers and looking at some of those from different like comparison sites, VRBO had a $500 monthly and like a 3% fee. Oh, really? And they stopped that uh, probably after they were acquired by one of the bigger um, travel companies that now own them. Mm -hmm. But there is no annual fee option. Okay. Unless you were on that. I think they grandfathered some people in, but... If you're watching this to learn how to buy a nightly rental, you are not grandfathered in. <laughs> so those are those are expenses that need to go into your chart. So let's do this. Let's take just a minute or two, a couple mm-hmm. minutes here, and I want to kind of run through some numbers that I jotted down. Uh, these have not a lot to do with reality, but it gives you an idea on how to then take these numbers yeah. and put into, you know, what is my return on this? So this pretend property that we're buying here is a $400,000 purchase price. I threw down a 10% uh, down payment because it was super easy math. You're probably going to be hard pressed to get only 10% unless you're able to categorize this as a a second home. Sure. Um, Talk to your lender. Can we call it something? I want it to be on Turkey Street. Let's call it. Let's call it one, two, three, four. West Turkey Street. So your West Turkey property. <laughs> West Turkey property. Has a $400,000 purchase price. You put $40,000 down, a 10% down payment. Yep. It's got a few things that need to be done to it. It's not falling apart, but you want to put new flooring and new paint and those type of things into it. Okay. So you got about $20,000 in renovation costs for this property okay. to get it like where you want it to be. And then you have to furnish it because it didn't come furnished. So there's another $20,000. Again, trying to do simple math, but... So your price to purchase plus your put into service costs is what I'm calling it is $440,000. 
So $400,000 purchase price price plus your 20000 and 20000 is 440000 Got it. All right. Now you put 40% down. Mm-hmm. No, you put $40,000 down, which is 10%. 10%. Got it. <laughs> so you have a $360,000 loan and an $80,000 cash investment. All right? Okay. Let's just run some quick numbers. So I put a 30-year loan term at 4.25% interest uh, on a $360,000 loan because that's what our loan amount is in right. this scenario. So your debt service is $1,770 and some change. Uh, your utilities in my scenario here, $385 a month. Um, my maintenance expenses, $154. Uh, taxes were $336. Insurance was $74 a month. Again, check with your people. Um, recurring capital expenditures. So these are my kind of like unknown things that I want to just budget for. The 2.5% we were talking about, $83. And that is a formula in my spreadsheet that goes off of the income that I'm anticipating. Uh, and then property management fee. Um, managing it myself, I just put the application, like the uh, platform fees in there. So I just put 8% to be conservative. Sure. Because uh, if everybody went through Verbo, then that's what it would be. So monthly cash out was just over $3,000. I threw in a number of $40,000 in income. Um, that was a monthly rent of $3,333.33. Lots of threes in that one. Ooh. Uh, so the monthly cash flow on this example would only be $263.35. Okay. Um, if you invested your $80,000 and you have the $263.35, you have a 3.95% return on your annual cash invested. Okay. So you have to ask yourself the question, is that is that satisfactory to you? Right. For some of us that have money at 0.0001% return... <laughs> Throw in that $80,000 at almost 4% on highly conservative numbers, by the way. Let's say this is your most conservative scenario. Mm -hmm. That might make sense. Um, And that only you can answer that question. It comes Mm -hmm. back to your goals. If it's literally just a way to supplement a vacation property and you're like, we just want a place at the lake and we don't need to stay out there all three months of the summer. But if we could have this month and then rent it out on the other two sides as much as we can... Now we can afford it. That's great. You're not worried as much about that return on the cash, right? Because it's it's a way for you to just purchase a property and then afford the payment. Right. Uh, others, this is an investment strategy. And you're like, eh, 4%. I'm going to want to offer them 375 and see what that number looks like for me. And as I was doing it for myself, because investment was my purpose, I would just okay, this is what they're asking. And I would just play with the numbers until I got it to the return I wanted. I'm like, well, this is the highest I'm willing to go. Right. It can basically, you're working, you're working backwards to create your offer price from that spreadsheet. And what you, here's, here's what I'm comfortable with per month on my worst case scenario. Right. We talked about worst case middle of the road and then like, wow, that would be amazing numbers income wise. Yep. Um, so that's, that's a great way to do and it. And the smaller your investment of cash, the bigger that percentage of return is, right? And so if you're putting 100% down on a property, you're putting all $400,000 down, you're having a much smaller return on your cash than if you only ended up, if you figured out a way to put only the $20,000 down because it was furnished and it was in sure. or 
40,000, whatever. Would she be surprised at how many of places would very especially much negotiate? In markets, yeah. Especially in markets where it is already a vacation property. The sellers don't want Or a lot of people, if they stuff. have a second home and they're like downsizing or they don't want that second home anymore, that furniture, they don't want to take the time to move that furniture. So definitely look at negotiating uh, furniture into the contract, which can save you some money. Yeah. So that's the financing piece of it that ultimately will help you decide if it is the property that you want to buy. Fantastic. Okay, so it's my turn to talk about some of the things that I was involved in. I mean, obviously... Maybe it's not obvious to everybody because you always talk about the numbers, but I do, I do get involved in the acquisition and talking about income and researching all of that. However, the thing that I love to do is I love to then think about the remodel, the buying the furniture and all the little details that go into the property itself. And I actually run my own numbers based on how many bedrooms do we have? What things could we negotiate into the contract? And, um, you know, what am I going to actually then need to buy for this place? And I'll run my numbers of here's how much the furniture is going to cost. Furniture, decor, that kind of stuff. So in, in essence, when we're running the financial aspect of it, we're in communication a lot yes. around, well, what do you think we're going to need to pay to furnish this place? Right. And to remodel it. Like, what are the things that we have to do in order to make this at the level that we want to? Because if you think we're going to get... $3,300 a month and we're looking at that like a per day or per weekend or however that that looks then I have to look and say is the property as it is matching that amount that he wants to get and I'm going no or yeah I think we could get that and those are those are things that we're having to constantly balance and figure out um, okay so when you're deciding how you're going to remodel furnish and do the details okay you need to look determine two things number one what type of owner are you okay and number two is what type of airbnb is this property now i'm gonna break that down for you so let's talk about the three what i would consider the three types of owners and we've kind of touched on it a little but i'm gonna go into just a little more detail so number one is a professional owner Okay. A professional owner is that person where this is a business venture and they have no intention of staying in sure. these places. Right. So, um, they won't be staying there. And if they do, it's just because they're there to finish something, spend the night and then, you know, they're working. Um, these folks are usually looking for multiple offers or excuse me, multiple units. They're not just, if you're a professional at this, you're not just buying one, you're buying right. 12 of them and you're managing them yourself and so on and so forth. These places tend to be a little more bare bones when it comes to what's in the property. Okay. Um, they cannot give the same type of personal touch as some of these other owners. Okay. Cause they, they've got too many, you know, they, maybe they start out one and then they get three and then they got 12 and then they got 20 of them. They're not putting a personal touch on that. They're just, they're making it cookie cutter and they know that. Okay. Now, could you start your first one with the personal touch and then replicate that throughout like your color scheme, your furnishings, all of those types of it's, things. Like you can still create that absolutely. and yet duplicate it with the ease of like, this is what I always put as a coffee table and this is the couch that I always yes, put in. You can absolutely do that however even the people because of course i'm watching people on youtube and i'm getting as much information as i can there's a one gentleman who's got who is a professional right he's got like a hundred units and he always is saying if you only own one 
you will outdo us every single time because you are that personal touch. You are you sure. are caring about that more than I can possibly and my staff can possibly care about these 100 properties. Sure. So yes and no at the same time. That's fair. All right, so the second type of owner is what I'm calling the supplemental owner. These are owners that own the property and can afford it themselves. They can afford the all the things that you were talking about, okay? But they're thinking, eh, I could make, why not? I don't stay there all the time. Why don't I make a little bit of money while, I've own, while I own this property? Sure. So in that, they're not gonna rely on the rent. They're, they're not financially strapped. Um, the income is gonna be supplemental. These places feel more like someone's home too when you go into it, right? Sure, because it is their home. Because it is their home. And it's very much geared um, toward the homeowner and not necessarily the guest. Okay, so these are wonderful Got places, yep. but they might not have a detailed instruction book. They might have a few little things, but it feels like, oh, wow, I've it's just... probably more like, don't do this versus yeah, yeah. The, here's how to enjoy our property. <laughs> yes, yeah. They want to make sure that you don't mess anything up in the place that they love and that they use on a regular basis, okay? And then there's the third kind of owner, and I'm calling this the combo owner, it's not Ooh. a great name. It's not a great name, but we'll, I didn't have we'll time to... We'll take suggestions on a better yeah. <laughs> name for that. And this is someone who wants to use the unit, but can't afford it on their own income. So they're looking at this as an opportunity to acquire a property and help them pay for it. Okay? These people are not necessarily professional. Um, and these folks need the income, so they basically have to become professionals in the Airbnb space. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes, it um, I think that these places can be the perfect blend of very homey and professional at the same time. It's basically what your gurus, if you will, that own a hundred of these units say, if you only own one, you'll beat us every time. So it's the, it's not, I'm not going to scale this up necessarily to dozens and dozens of them. Right. I have one, maybe two or three. Yes. And I'm going to just do them really, really well. Yeah. And I, I would also say supplemental owners, you know, people who maybe have a place in their basement. Yeah, maybe they can't afford their house. And this is, they can accomplish this as well, I think, because they're right there. They're taking care of it. They're, they're dealing with the needs of their, of their clients. But in this case, um, they pay attention to the details. Um, they care about, um, they care about it like an owner but they want to make money, so they want to make it professional. Sure. They want people to come back over and over again. They think about in, in they think about it in terms of a business. Um, they usually have good instructional books. Maybe they add items to it so that you know they put little snacks out and things like that because they want it to be like very they want, professional. They want that five star experience, right? Exactly. They want to get the good reviews. Exactly. Okay. So then there are also uh, types of Airbnbs now. I am going to go through these really quickly, and then next week we're going to talk about it in just a little more detail. Uh, that's good. Okay. I came up with seven different types of Airbnbs. So first you got to figure out what kind of owner you are, and then you got to figure out what type of Airbnb that you're looking at buying or that you've purchased or wherever you are in that process. So the first one I have is a couple's retreat. Okay? Couple's retreat. These are houses that are not big enough for, for more than two people. Okay, these are places that are cozy and attract people that are getting away with their significant other. 
they're small. Um, number two is remote locations. These um, can be lots of different sizes and they might even be combined with some of these other types, but they are far away from the world. Okay. Those and my favorites. <laughs> and let me just say this, you better have what people need if you are a remote location. Yeah. Nobody wants to drive an hour to the grocery That's store. That's right. Number three on my list is family gatherings. Okay. Family, family gathering places are large enough for, and they're family friendly. Um, these places are where lots of people will gather and they'll eat together. Um, people plan these trips well in advance because they have so many people that they need to actually coordinate with. So, you know, maybe mom and dad and kids and grandkids, right? All of them kind of convening on one place. You have party houses. Now, these places are also large, but they are non-family friendly houses, potentially, okay? They might have lots of sharp corners and they're not really thinking in terms of, you know, pack and plays and high chairs and things like that. Now, these places come with lots of extra rules and monitoring. So they're going to have extra rules. They expect you to make a mess. And so they have extra fees built in to clean up that mess. Sure. They even have things, provisions for like b bodily fluid, which is just terrible to even think about. Um, we'll go into those a little bit more next week. There's also popular cities and unique homes and theme homes. These are all possible types of Airbnb. So we're going to talk about it in length next week. We're going to talk about the differences between those two and why it matters that you know the difference between those two. <laughs> Absolutely. All right? And then we'll jump into some platform setup yeah. after that. Fantastic. Thank you everyone for joining us today. Uh, if you have any questions about what we talked about or any questions in regard to real estate at all, please reach out to us. You can find us online at any of the social medias, just search for Everreal, E-V-O-R-E-A-L. Email us at ask at everreal.com or you can call us on the telephone, 509-62-HOUSE. We'll see you all next week. <laughs> all right. See you later. Bye. Bye.